Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver and college radio host. Welcome to WBAZ. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. You, listener, are taking us on a great college road trip. is by M. David Merrill. With the growing popularity in e-learning, it occurred to me that the E should mean more than electronic. If we are going to call it e-learning, shouldn't it be effective, efficient, and engaging? Last week, we talked about the return to remote schooling. This week, we want to touch on how this semester is looking for colleges. A lot of colleges have now sent students back home after having to shut or limit campus housing. Today, we'll talk about what's happening for college students and how parents can help them adjust to the continuous changes in college learning. So we'll start off with cost. What is the new cost of school? What different expenses do students have and what is actually the same? There are some things that are similar, if not the same. Most kids will need a laptop or device, which is pretty standard in colleges nowadays. They will also need internet speed. The challenge that is coming now is with students going back home, where they have family members also on the internet, other siblings also on their internet, is the amount of bandwidth for internet usage. A lot of people are running into the problem where they can't run programs, they can't run the video classes, all of this stuff, because there are too many people on one internet source. So that's kind of become an interesting new cost with parents figuring out how to make sure the internet is up and working. I believe Dr. Azevedo over there can speak to internet that doesn't work. (laughs) And he doesn't even have college students in the house. He doesn't. He's just got two doggos. No, but you have to become your own IT specialist. That too. Being able to stop, reboot, and be willing to call people to ask for help. Another thing that has changed-ish, but not really, is the textbook situation. Some people like the hard copies, and some teachers actually use books that are just hard copy, which still baffles me. But, you know, having textbooks versus renting and other options... What's Chegg? It's a website that you can rent textbooks through. Um, Mm. So they send it to you and they have a package that you send it back in. You can't highlight it. Like you can't write in the book at all, but you rent it. And it's cheaper than renting through the school, Mm. typically. Amazon also now offers rented textbooks. And they also offer rented textbooks through Kindle. So having digital access to textbooks is also a new thing. Well, it's not new, but it is different. Thriftbooks and halfprice.com are both really good ones if you like the hard copies. I got a couple of my grad school textbooks through halfprice.com and yeah, one of them was for 75 cents with a dollar shipping handling. This is one that like hasn't really changed though, right? I mean, you just said you still had to get textbooks for your relatively recent schooling and I definitely had to get textbooks when I was in school. There was no very very few ebooks or and and we weren't really encouraged to rent or find discount books. We were really pushed to buy the brand new books, which are incredibly expensive. 
I mean, that's some of what has changed. There are some classes that don't have textbooks at all and will just have like articles that you have to read. So figuring out how to keep track of those and where you keep them. But I listed this specifically for the kids who do best with paper textbooks who might not have easy access to Mm. tangible textbooks because we have moved to this e-learning phase. I know one of the online classes I took in undergrad was article-based. And so the professor would post like four articles that you're supposed to read. And I had to print them out because I just don't do well reading on a computer screen. But again, figuring out what that means and how to negotiate what type of textbook the student needs to be successful. There are a lot more resources, as Ben was saying, than it was when he was in school and when I first started school, because it was very much buy through the school. And that has changed, thank goodness, because textbooks are not cheap. And I think one of the funniest things that I've seen on the internet was like a guy was arrested for stealing $1,200 worth of stuff from a university bookstore. And someone commented and said, wow, so he had to return one book? Because, <laughs> I mean, it, it seems like that's how expensive textbooks are now. My favorite part of textbooks was in Nashville, there was this one store that would buy back your used textbooks and give you credit towards the store. And they also sold used video games. So at the end of the semester, I would trade back as many of my books as I could and pick up a couple of video games for them. And I felt that that was a a fair cycle. You know, I had finished the semester, so it was time to relax a little bit. That's pretty cool. Also, college students reaching out to each other in each other's classes and seeing if they can collaborate on textbooks and having access to textbooks. I had a couple of students in undergrad and we would share a textbook. One of the other things that has kind of drifted off is access to libraries. We have online library stuff. I don't know if libraries are open to the public. I haven't looked it up. They are starting to reopen like a public library in Durham but they are not quite fully open yet. And that limits a lot of access for free books and research purposes. I know the internet's out there. I'm old school. I like libraries. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize is university libraries are required to have at least one textbook for every class. So if the teacher requests a textbook, that textbook is required to be in the library. They have to have at least one copy. Or at least that was what was true when I was in school. That's a resource that students don't have anymore or have limited access to. So that's all just stuff to think about with books. And that's not much of the change, right? Because they would need a laptop and they would need books, whether they were in college or staying at home and doing it online. This next one, though, is specific to being back home. Right. So another thing to consider is the space to do schoolwork at home. Online means online lectures, which means listening to things and paying attention and being focused. Is there space for that in the house? If you have two parents working from home who are both having to do online work and conference calls, if you've got a younger sibling who's also doing online school and then there's you, a college student, trying to do school, we're running out of space and it's very challenging to do your schoolwork in your own room as well. 
I was talking to a chiropractor friend of mine on Friday who said the number of ergonomic issues has shot up tremendously because there's not actually the right space to sit and use your laptop. People are bent funny and that kind of stuff and throwing their back out. And if you wanted to buy a desk, you can't find them. (laughs) Ikea is completely sold out. I mean, people are, it's kind of like toilet paper in the early part of the pandemic. You just can't find it. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And even just working on a laptop is inherently not the most ergonomically correct. I know I had to set my laptop up higher so that when I do calls, I'm not looking down. And that requires having an external mouse, an external keyboard, like all of these other things that add to the cost of being home and the cost to having to do things on your computer constantly. So that kind of leads us to this last thing of tuition. And what does that look like with online schools now? I am not within the context of an actual school. So I don't know if there have been changes to the tuition for online schooling or not. But I do know that a lot of students are struggling with, you know, paying out of state tuition and then having to be sent back home to their home state while still paying an out of state tuition for an e-learning situation. And that has caused a lot of confusion and frustration. I hope that they are working on changing that. I have not looked it up recently. That was just the last I had heard from um, a couple of people. Another thing for first-year college students, where this was supposed to be their launch into college, go away, all of that stuff, and now they're back living at home, doesn't make more sense to transfer to a community college to do all of your prerequisites, your gen ed classes, and then transfer to a school later, right? Because community college has less expense to it. So figuring out what that means and how to do it. I know for juniors and seniors, there's usually a little bit more involved with campus because you're probably doing an internship or practicum or research or stuff like that. But the first year students have a little bit more flexibility in what they're doing with where they're going. What do you think about taking a gap year? A gap year is actually not a bad idea either. Right. The idea being that you can use this time to learn differently. It's not learning where there's credentials associated with it necessarily, although you can get certifications for lots of different computer-based and uh, engineering-based things. But learning is way more than that. It's the capacity to synthesize information and to suss out what is accurate from what is inaccurate. And a lot of that learning could be done in a gap year. The problem with a gap year right now is a lot of people like to use the gap year to travel someplace and there's nowhere to go. (laughs) And even some states are not taking the citizens of other states because there's higher incidence there. I was looking at tuition because, Kim, your comment about the idea of, you know, why not take your gen ed classes from community colleges actually is a, is a mainstream argument. And Penn State had a response to that. Uh, and if I can read the quote real quick, they said, even during this unprecedented national and global challenge, our outstanding faculty are meeting the course and program learning objectives for our students by continuing to deliver a world-class Penn State education. Unfortunately, we believe the cost of fulfilling our educational commitment in a remote setting is likely higher, and there are no plans to issue tuition refunds. Lab experiments are being video streamed, 
technical, research, and operational infrastructures needs are being met, training and technology solutions are being delivered on an unprecedented scale, and more. The university is delivering on our educational promise to our students and will continue to do so. In other words, we ain't giving you a buck back. Fair. And, you know, that is something well, is to it? consider. Is it fair? I don't think I it's don't fair. know that that's fair. Sorry, I disagree. I meant, yeah. I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Fair but, is what no, I it, use to acknowledge. Yes, yeah. I heard you. Yeah, but it makes, a good, it makes a good point. Like, that's not super fair. No. You're definitely not getting the same experience that you would for all of that money if you were in the school. So your point's a great one, Kim, that like, it's a great idea to look into options like community college or alternate learning stuff, getting certifications and other things, you know, ride this out and see if maybe, you know, if you can get into the college that you want to be in, in person next year, next fall, that may be better than trying to struggle through your freshman year remotely and spending a lot of money doing it. And... The gap year thing is, I mean, we already said is a really cool idea. It comes with its own challenges. You're not going to be able to travel. So a lot of people would take a gap year to travel and and learn that way. But I think that's a lot like that is a very um, experiential learning type thing. Right. And there's a lot of value to that. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to do that. If you take a gap year and your plan is to maybe study some computer programming stuff. And there's like you said, there's a lot of online certification type stuff for that. That's great, but you have to hold yourself accountable for that, you know, and it would be really easy to take a gap year and not do a lot of studying, which honestly, I don't think would be the worst thing in the world either. You know, maybe pick up a part time job, maybe pick up a full time job, work for a year and then get to college. Like, again, the the main goal here would be to offset the expense of college until you can get the full value out of it. And remember that right now, there are a lot of people out of work. So finding a job is a little bit more complicated. That's very true. That's what my thought was. (laughs) was That's very true. That's very true. Gap year job. (laughs) So, I mean, gap year really will be a gap year because there's not a lot unless you create it for yourself. And there are some kids who can do that. But let's talk about not just the practical side, which is what we've been talking about here, but the emotional side. You know, the transition, I was a high school senior and I wanted to graduate and I didn't get a graduation. I didn't get prom. I wanted to go to college and I got there only to be turned around and sent home. Ugh. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. I'm 18 years old and nothing is going right for me. Not a thing is going right for me. And now I'm stuck at home with my parents. Who are also not right because they're struggling with their (laughs) online jobs and, you know, are we going to be employed tomorrow? The stress level is super high. Divorce rates have jumped. The requests by lawyers, so my lawyer colleagues in the divorce arena, are saying they've had a 30% increase in inquiry calls. Think about it. If your marriage was on the rocks and now you have to be at home with one another and you already weren't getting along... We've just put you in a pressure cooker. Oh, I mean, yes, my wow face was mostly just like, I live alone, so I don't have to deal with someone else being in my space. So I just, for me, kind of thinking about like, wow, that would suck. Oh, yeah. Well, and and think about it. This is also for the kids. So you're a college kid. You've come back home and now you're hearing your parents argue or just be ice cold to one another. Or you're back in this situation because this is what you were just trying to leave. Sure. There are a lot of pressures on college students having to return home right now, even if 
the family has enough room and they have enough money for the right infrastructure, it's still hard. Imagine all of that with not enough room, no infrastructure or little infrastructure, and nervous people because they're on the edge. And that describes a whole lot more people than who have the 6,000 square foot house. So your kid's home and it's not a great situation, but now what? What what are we going to do about it? Well, number one, it's uh, one of our core messages on this show. You have to communicate. You have to share. Confide in one another what the stress is. What's the challenge I'm facing? Share with your kids the challenges you're facing so that you demonstrate vulnerability in, in sharing emotions so that they're more likely to share their vulnerabilities with you. The other part is, as a parent, listen. Don't try to fix the problem. Listen. Listen and allow your child to lead you to the solution, particularly if they're in college. If you're the parent, manage your own thoughts around your kid's situation. So try not to kibitz, try not to do anything that would put pressure on them. You can open up opportunities for discussion like, hey, you're a first year student at UNC Chapel Hill. What if we withdraw for this first year and you take your gen ed classes from Wake Tech? You can have those discussions, but let your child move you through them. Find a way to integrate gratitude and positive intentions into your family dynamic all day long. So Gottman's research demonstrates that a five to one ratio of positive communications to a negative communication keeps a relationship healthier or at least more resilient. Find ways of of throwing those gratitudes and positive statements in sprinkled in throughout the day. Get everyone in the family to do that. See who can rack up the most positive statements. That's the kind of competition you need. <laughs> okay. Weird. <laughs> Weird. I was just trying I to think, think of what that would have looked like at our, our kitchen table. Our kitchen table is actually pretty positive. <laughs> I know, but like trying to compete with like the most positive stuff. <laughs> like... I was just trying to think of that, and I was thinking about me in high school, early college, and just how angsty I was. Oh, yes. Very true. I think, too, setting goals, big or small, and then taking steps towards them. It gives you momentum. It keeps you moving. I think this is independent of specifically school stuff, even, but it does help deal with things like depression and being stuck feeling stuck, especially because we all feel very stuck. You can make a choice to set goals for yourself and move towards them. And I think that really helps. Sure. And you know, one of the things that you can do in order to keep the positive communications going is in the morning, sit down with one another and say, here are the things I intend to do today. And then in the evening, come back together and say, did I get them done? You know, that kind of accountability <laughs> partnership can can be really helpful. In 2020, my list has been like, here's the things I'm going to do today. A, B, C, D, E. And then at the end of the day, here's the things I did today. W, X, Y, Z. <laughs> just completely <laughs> different things. I still got stuff done. It's just not the things that I tried to do. Well, That's how I'm still I feel about this year. that you got things done, right? So <clears throat> oh, yeah. I'm always thing, celebrating. Right. You know, I didn't do what I intended on doing, but I still did something. And that's pretty cool. And then there's me who stared at the wall for two and a half hours the other day. That was interesting. Did you discover anything interesting about the wall? Apparently she did. She just said it was interesting. Honestly. Tell us the secrets of the wall. (laughs) I will not share those secrets. They are HIPAA confidential. Did the wall sign papers for that? 
Was there a transfer of money from your wall to you? You're not hired until there's a transfer of money. <laughs> well, what if I'm doing pro bono work? Anyway, regardless. Uh, pro bono wall therapy. <laughs> I think the wall was my therapist in that case, but yeah. I think another important thing for parents to be aware of and be mindful about is tech use. So a lot of parents get on kids for always being on their phones, always texting their friends. But keep in mind, this might be their only connection to friends that they've met through college. It can be seen as disrespectful and annoying. And there are times where it is such, where it's time and place, don't have your phone out. We get that. But also understanding if your college kid is sitting on the couch and texting somebody, that might be their only line of connection to this friend. And being respectful of that and respectful of this distance that was created by no fault of their own. Or gets on a game console at a particular time in order to meet up with friends, to play a game and to talk the way they would be able to if they were on campus. And this is a huge thing, what's going on now with the pandemic, is the isolation everyone feels, regardless of age. But it's particularly true for teens in the later years of high school and college-age students, where this is a major developmental step for them in establishing their independent identity to have that breakaway and to work through all of the issues of making these choices. Like the transition into adulthood, Kim sent me a, a great quote today. The quote goes, teenage me, don't tell me what to do. Adult me, please, for the love of God, at least give me a hint of what to do. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And this transition, the latter years of high school and in through college, is that transition where human beings are learning to make those decisions for themselves, to, to synthesize information and make a choice and experience the consequences of those choices. They've been doing that all life long, but these are now moving into the adult range. And your kid may not be having that experience because they're at home with you. Well, and I mean, like Don was saying, like, this isn't the same relationship, right? They're building this sense of independence, and that's been complicated by having to be back home. But you have to understand they're making their own decisions now, and you as a parent can't necessarily help or fix it, right? If they don't do their homework, there are consequences to that. If they don't show up for online lecture, there are consequences to that. And you as a parent have to be okay with the fact that your child might fail because they're not doing these things. If they were truly away at college, you wouldn't be there saying, hey, it's four o'clock. Make sure you're on that online lecture. Hey, sweetie, did you do your math homework? Are you sure you turned it in? You know, if they're away at college, you're not there reminding them of these things. And they need to be developing that self-reliance where they can rely on themselves to wake themselves up, to do their homework, to turn it in on time. Okay, so I have a couple questions about this. One, is there an appropriate amount to be checking in on those sorts of things? Because they are at home. You're right that like you wouldn't be there to do those things at a college campus, but there would be other factors that would be there that they don't have either, right? They would have their friends. So even if it was something as simple as, oh, I'm going to see so-and-so in class, so like I'll get to class on time. And they don't have that factor anymore, right? They're suffering probably from depression and isolation. That makes it really hard to get up and do stuff. Is there an appropriate amount that a parent of a college student could be kind of poking and prodding at them to, to help them get past some of the additional challenges they have? 
So one of these would be to sit down and say, how are we going to work this? Your yeah. home, this is all yours. How would you like me to be supportive of you? How can you be informative to me so that I'm not as anxious? And then find something. It becomes a co-created thing. This right. is a huge change because parents are used to just telling kids what to do. But at this stage, it needs to be co-created. That means that as a parent, you have to, to demonstrate being vulnerable and saying, hey, I get anxious. You know, I just dropped 4000 bucks or whatever on this semester. That's a really cheap school, dude. Very cheap school. So cheap. But the parent might say... I'm anxious and you're here, so I'm a little bit more anxious. How can you provide me information that would be helpful to you and not like be up in your business and reverse? How can I be an accountability partner with you or like a professor, somebody you can talk to to work through what the assignment is? Because, you know, one of the other things that kids don't have as easy access to is to talk to their professor after class or to go to office hours. I mean, I know the professors have got office hours online. It's just not the same. The personal relationship that you can create face-to-face -face is different. Mm. For the record, the 4,000 would be out of state at Wake Tech as a full-time student. So I wasn't too far off. <laughs> as an in-state for a full-time student, it's only $1,216. Hell of a deal. Yeah. So this is the part where we start talking about what the student's expectations might be. And this is hard. Like, how do you make new friends? How do you date? Okay. Dating is not a thing we're going to talk about. You you wait until 2021. Yeah. <laughs> this like is at a this test point, of patience. Just don't we're date, As a single no, person. No, no new friends. Right. Like, as no a single dating. person, just stop trying to date right now. Because it's chaos and it's horrible and it's scary. And yeah, no. No, just stop. We should get a guest on the show that like disagrees with you on this because you're the only one of us who can really express a current opinion and you have a consistent one, which I think is great, but it would be interesting to get somebody who has the opposite opinion or just a different opinion. I was talking to a 28 year old woman colleague in the healthcare profession and she is attempting to date through all of this. And she goes, you know, it has all the worst parts of dating that were happening before magnified by yes. the creeps that are, that are willing to go out and date during <laughs> pandemic. And I did ask her, I said, you know, so what does that say about you? <laughs> out mm. willing to go out. <laughs> Even like it's become normalized to go to a park or go for a walk on a date. Yeah. As a single female woman, I would never go on a first date as a hike in the woods. <laughs> That's horrifying. Oh, okay. To well, okay. Me. Like, I was thinking, like, a walk in the park sounds lovely as a first date. Right. Oh, a hike in the woods, not the same thing. <laughs> Think about Umstead Park, though. Although, right. No, I, a hike, again, hike in the woods, sorry. very different image in my head than walk in the park. Walk in the park is like an open field with lots of people around yeah. that are all spread out, and you're like walking along a nice little path. Anyway, student expectations, trying to make friends, this whole virtual nonsense. And that sudden sadness and turnaround, really trying to figure out how to make connections with the people in your class. Now, if anything has stayed the same between when I was in online classes and now, discussion boards, yo. You can make some new friends through the discussion boards. You're supposed to respond to three of them, right? There's got to be Slack groups and stuff now, right? I would hope. I don't know. If colleges aren't using Slack, I would be shocked. I'd be blown away. That's how... 95% of my interaction with my coworkers now occurs on Slack. It's like a discussion board, right? I mean, it's right. instant, it can be instant communication. You can leave longer messages. It 
can hold a lot of different forms of media. It's a multimedia experience. So you can share humorous things. You can share serious things. You can share files. You can share videos, photos, audio, like everything. I could see a hypothetical situation where you've joined a class, you meet a few people, they seem cool, and you even make your own little like side Slack group with people that you're interested in being friends with. Because again, it gives you that casual environment to interact in in addition to the more formal classroom environment. Yeah. So friendship might be really hard to make at this point, but staying connected with friends that you had through high school and the new people that you're meeting through class. We have a lot of social media. There are a lot of different apps and texting and FaceTiming and video chat and all of these things that you can use to stay connected. The relationships will feel strange, that's for sure because you don't have that face-to-face time. But figuring out, is there a way that you could do, you know, a meetup at the park and socially distance study or something like that and collaborating together in class. You could play a game where you see how long you could be a friend with someone without ever meeting them in person. You know, there are a lot of people who do online gaming where they've had friends for years that they've never met in person. Yeah. Because, you know, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. And it's an interesting game of 2020. Yeah. Shall we talk about workload? Yeah. How to do college homework from home in 2020? Well, I want to make the note that this is a really unique experience for everyone. And I want to state that it's okay to drop classes or adjust your schedule. If you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling like you can't get it done, it's okay. No one knows what to expect in the situation we're in right now. It's chaotic. It's stressful. You don't need to add more to that stress just because you signed up for this class before you knew that the world was going to change. It's okay to drop classes. I was absolutely terrified of dropping classes when I was in college. I didn't know what it meant. And I think I did actually just drop one but I still have nightmares about it. So that's my right. crazy brain. And and both of you changed majors. I was going to say, I changed majors, but I don't think I dropped any classes. Yes, I, I don't know that you dropped any classes, or at least I'm not aware of any classes that you dropped. But you did, both of you changed majors. You You went in different directions as you experienced new information. This is part of what college is. Yeah. You make an educated guess about what you might like to do, and then... Sometimes it doesn't pan out. And right now, you may have signed up for something. And being at home and trying to do this is overwhelming. So find out what your syllabus says. Find out how to do drop ad. Make sure that you do it correctly. And there are deadlines for all of these things. And also, if you decide to keep the class, get prepared for the work that's required. And this takes a little bit of organization. There is a really cool app called My Study Life, if you haven't heard of it. And it helps you organize your syllabus and have checklists and all of that stuff for your due dates. And there are a ton of other apps that are really useful for helping you stay organized in school. Study Blue offers a free and a premium version. It's making flashcards and you can actually share them with other students and you can collaborate on those. It also makes study guides out of the flashcards that you use. And these are all different tools that you can use with online learning. Even when we go back to regular face-to-face classes, you can use them then too. I'm a huge person with paper things. Like I need it in paper to be able to feel like I know what's happening. I grew up with an agenda. I will never not have an agenda it's an important thing in my life and it makes me feel safe and secure. 
thank you. But if paper's not for you, there are a thousand different apps out there. Just figuring out which interface makes the most sense and helps you stay on top of things. I definitely suggest reaching out to at least one or two people in your class so that you can collaborate and you can have study guides built together or that you guys can talk about studying and talk about the coursework. Some people learn best when they're teaching it to other people. You're at home. If you have a younger sibling, teach them what you're learning in math class. Teach your parents, right? If that's how you learn. If that's not how you learn, cool. Find teach another your dog. Map. Yeah. Listen, I've had many conversations with Spooky about systems theory and systemic work in family therapy. He knows more than I do. I think he synthesizes it differently. <laughs> Regardless, that connection and being able to find new ways to study. Also, an important thing to note, don't do homework in your bed. That's poor sleep hygiene. Your bed is for rest and relaxation, right? It is not for doing your homework. It is not for eating. It is not for all of these other activities that we associate with bed, especially in college, when you're in a one room, when you are in a dorm room. But you may be in a, the same situation now. Now you're stuck in your, your home's bedroom and you may want to eat some of your meals in there to pretend like you're in a dorm room to get away from your family. Well, so part of what we said at the beginning of this, which is setting up your space, having a desk. Sure, eat your cup of ramen at your desk. Don't eat it in your bed. But if I was going to eat my cup of ramen in my dorm bed, why can't I eat it in my home bed? You can eat it wherever you want. I'm a college student and I can make the choices I want to make. And and I would tell you that even in college, that's not the healthiest of choices, <laughs> mostly because you do want a separation of whatever you want to call a home life, whether you're in college or at home and where your work life is. And separating those two are, is healthier. I would add to that statement, don't do your paid work yeah. in bed, right? As a matter of fact, don't even do it in your bedroom. If you can move your paid work or your college classes or your high school or any other school classes somewhere else in the house and leave that space as more of a sanctuary for relaxing, for meditating, for doing whatever you like to do, it's going to be easier to maintain a sense of emotional well-being. When you start confusing all those things, it just becomes more difficult. It's not impossible. People have done it for thousands of years. It just becomes more difficult. Well, and we talked about this at the onset of, of COVID when we were talking about work from home, of having the designated space to go and do work and the designated space to be at home and in leisure. And y'all know I don't disagree with you. I'm just sort of playing the... Part of what I'm trying to get at is that even if you were in college like normal, you would have a single room wherein you do your work and your play and your sleeping and all of your stuff, your eating, everything. And yes, there's other spaces on college campus where you go to do things, but like your dorm room in college is a multifunction room. Yes, but I had a desk. Yes, you have a desk. I'm just saying that it's interesting. To, this is perhaps a bright side. One situation in all of this darkness wherein you're not necessarily actually in that much worse shape than you would have been if you were on a college campus because you would have a small room that you were sharing with someone else in which to do your homework and your resting, right? Yes. And you're still in that situation. So I agree with you. Don't do your homework on your bed. Have a desk set up because you would have that in a dorm room. But 
it's already going to be a space that you are um, blurring the lines between work and play and rest and all of that stuff. I think the only thing we didn't talk about was hybrid classes. What's a hybrid classes? Where they're still having a couple of like on-campus face-to-face classes. You see it a lot with like the higher grades. Um, So juniors and seniors in college will usually have lab work that they need to do. Hmm. And the way the college has set it up is the class is divided into sections and different sections get different days to go into lab. But it still means risking contamination. And what does that mean for the family if a student does have to go into a class once a week? That doesn't seem like a solvable problem to me. If the expectation for the class is that the student has to go in and the expectation for the family is you really can't interact with other people because we have these risk factors and we are very strictly quarantining, which not everybody is doing. It's a solvable thing if you don't have those two factors. But if you give me those two factors, then I'm like, this student can't go to those classes. So it is still reasonable quarantining to stay six feet apart, wear your mask, wash your hands. In the class, you mean? In the class, right. So -hmm. if you can stay six feet apart from people and you're wearing your mask, you are reducing dramatically the likelihood of contaminating anyone else or becoming contaminated. Most classes are being set up where that is successful. But that also depends on the school. Not all schools have enough funding for that. So Ben, with what you're saying about, you know, these are two things that have to happen. It's more about respect and how do we navigate each other's boundaries. So if I have to go to school and I'm living at home, you know, does it become a thing where I quarantine in my room when I'm home? Well, and do recognize that healthcare professionals have been providing care and coming home for the entire time that we've had this. So if you take reasonable precaution, you can keep the barrier strong and not get infected yourself or infect other people. It's a doable thing, but it's something to talk about within the family. It takes paying attention. Right. And, you know, making sure you understand boundaries again. Talking with your family and seeing if they would be okay if you stayed in contact with, like, one other student where you were able to study face-to-face and have that physical, emotional, same-room contact. Well, college in 2020 is definitely a big mess, but hopefully we covered some ways to make it a little bit better. Consider ways to cut some of the expenses of college since you're not able to take full advantage of a college campus this year, unless you are, in which case you're pretty lucky. Don't forget to have open and clear communication. If you're a parent, remember that your relationship with your child is different and it's changing. And if you're a college student, think about what you want and need out of your schedule and your accountability and discuss that with your parents. A lot of the same things that we've talked about previously for working at home apply to doing college from home. Try to set up a dedicated workspace and be diligent about keeping up with your work. It'll be hard, but stay positive. Set goals and keep your momentum going. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes. And if you have any questions or thoughts about this episode, feel free to email us at questions at afpsych.com. Until next time, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to the Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week.
The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.